0: Today is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and our scripture comes from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read to you John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made of pure nard. Anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of her present, of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may these give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. When I was a kid, I used to get a magazine called Highlights. Highlights probably hasn't been around forever, I don't know, but I would get Highlights magazine and one of my favorite parts of it was a little comic strip with Goofus and Gallant. Goofus and Gallant. They were little training on how to act and how not to act. As you can imagine, Goofus is the kid who gets everything wrong, and Gallant is the kid who gets everything right. So you would see Goofus would play out in the mud, then he'd run into the house with his muddy shoes. Gallant would play out in the mud, but then he would either wipe his shoes really well or he'd take his shoes off and then wear his socks into the house. Goofus was the one who said, Mom, I need more milk. And Gallant was the one who said, Mother, may I please have more milk? You were always seeing these kind of behavior lessons with Goofus and Gallant. And Goofus was the one who always messed up. Gallant always got it right. It turns out from child development theory that Goofus and Gallant is a really good way to teach behavior. Um, I think about how often I heard more general things when I was a child, like, be good, or don't be bad, or please behave. And it turns out that that kind of really general language is not helpful to kids. They need more specifics. Be good, well, what does that mean? Versus, Jane, sit down. (laughs) That I could understand. Or Jane, stop talking. That I could understand, I didn't always do. (laughs) But, you know, kids need a very specific, do this, don't do this. That's how we understand behavior. There is a way in which today's gospel lesson is a very serious example of do this, do not do this, and it has to do with two people who were disciples of Jesus. We see Mary of Bethany, do that. We see Judas of Iscariot, yeah, don't do that. Two disciples wanting to follow Jesus, handling it in very different ways, one of them a really good role model. The other one reflects a lot of problems and shows why the betrayal was to come. I want to unpack this passage. It is embedded in a lot of history and theology, and so I want to go back and kind of help you see the context of it and then come back to what we see Mary do and what Judas does and how those reflect how God wants us to act toward him and in the world. But first, the background. I read to you from John chapter 12. The context of this passage is the raising of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, we read about how Lazarus was sick and how Jesus heard of it. He was away from Bethany at the time. He heard Lazarus was sick. And because Jesus was such good friends with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, everyone assumed Jesus would go straight back to Bethany and heal him. But Jesus didn't. And Jesus actually said, no, this is, this is necessary. And that's very puzzling to the people around Jesus. Why, why wouldn't you go back and heal your friend? But he doesn't. In fact, he waits. And it's disturbing as a reader of the Bible to see Jesus wait, knowing how his friends in Bethany were suffering. Then finally, Jesus does go back. And surely, as you can imagine, Lazarus has already died. And Martha kind of always the leader, you know, runs out and greets him, Lord, if you'd not, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus feels Martha's suffering and grieves with her. And then Mary also comes out and grieves with Jesus. And Jesus announces that he's going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And he, people warn him, Jesus, he's, he's been dead four days. It, it's going to smell. <laughs> There's going to be a stench. You don't want to go in there. And Jesus says, Oh no, I'm I'm gonna go in. And he goes in, he calls Lazarus to get up, and then he commands the people around him, now unbind him and let him go. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. In the Gospel of John, this raising of Lazarus is actually the trigger event to people wanting to crucify Jesus. The, so many of the people in the Judean countryside come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that the religious authorities decide, we've got to get this guy, we've got to arrest him and get him out of here. And so it's as if there is a bounty on Jesus's head, and Jesus goes into hiding. And you read at the end of chapter 11 that he's in Ephraim. He's not in Bethany. He's not in Jerusalem. And people are speculating, you know, the Passover's coming. Do, do you think will Jesus go to Passover? Of course he's going to go to Passover. He won't go to Passover. There's a bounty on his head. And so there's all this debate, and that's the tension that happens right before this passage. So Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and now we're at a dinner party. Jesus loved dinner parties. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is continually at various dinner parties. This time, once again, he's at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And here's Martha carrying out her usual, she's a server, she's a worker bee, and there she is serving everyone there, true to her form of discipleship. Lazarus is there, and he's, he's sitting at the table. He's going to eat. Lazarus is doing great. And then Mary sees Jesus at the table, is so grateful for the raising of her brother, and she loves Jesus so deeply, she takes some nard, very very costly ointment. It was it was actually imported into Judea from the area of the Himalayas, very very expensive. And she anoints Jesus's feet with it, and and she wipes his feet with her hair. It's a very tender, a very intimate moment. She is so grateful for what Jesus has done for her family. And she also knows that Jesus's raising Lazarus will lead to his death. This little story in John is this powerful kind of transition story of things that are getting better and things that are getting worse. And Lazarus has been raised, and now they're out to get Jesus. And there was a stench because Lazarus had been buried for four days. And now, what do we see? We see a reversal of the stench. The perfume is so beautiful. The whole house is scented with it. The stench of death has been overcome by the sweetness of dedication to Jesus. And Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and this is a kind of foreshadowing of what will happen in John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples feet so there there's there's a lot of foreshadowing going on in this passage preparation that just as Mary had wiped Jesus's feet with her hair so would Jesus wash the disciples feet and wipe their feet with a towel The stench is overcome. The resurrection is going to lead to a crucifixion. More foot washing to come in this beautiful moment of devotion. But we all know that's not the end of the story. Mary has this moment of devotion. And how does Judas react? Judas is horrid. Judas criticizes her. She has poured out her love and her very expensive ointment on her Lord, on Jesus. And Judas says, you could have sold that for 300 denarii and given the money to the poor. He does not see the beauty of what she has done. In fact, he criticizes it and he attacks it. Judas pretends he's the person who cares about the poor. Why would you waste that expensive ointment when the poor people could have been helped? You get this sense of Judas beating up Mary for her act of devotion and Judas trying to jockey for power. See, Jesus, look at me. I would have cared for the poor more. What does Jesus do as he deals with this moment of unexpected rivalry between his disciples? Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. She has bought that for my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In the centuries since this gospel was written, people have struggled over how to interpret this line about you will always have the poor with you. And some people have been puzzled by it. Is is Jesus dismissing ministry for the poor? Is it a decision between worshiping Jesus or caring for the poor. That's not it at all. It's the opposite. What Jesus is saying is if you're one of my disciples, if you're one of my followers, you will always have the poor with you. Following Jesus means caring for the poor. They go part and parcel. So you will always have the poor with you you will always have an opportunity to serve the poor, to look out for the poor, to take the poor into consideration as we make decisions. And I think about our congregational life, our desire always to have the poor with us in the congregation, in the community of worshipers, but also In our financial lives, we have an opportunity to give to United Voices for Children today to help child-serving ministries, and people come and bring food and put it back in the food pantry area so that the poor might have food, and some of you volunteer with Vacation Bible School, and some of our lower-income kids get a chance to go to Vacation Bible School because we don't charge for it, and your service makes it possible for the lower income kids to participate in that ministry. It's really important. We have the poor always with us. Being devoted to Jesus doesn't in any way dismiss having the poor with you. It is integral to following Jesus. But Mary was recognizing the one who was before her, Jesus who was before her. She was recognizing that Jesus was coming to the end of his earthly ministry. She knew Jesus had raised her brother, and he was going to die, and Jesus himself was going to die. She could sense what was coming, and she anointed him out of gratitude, and whether she knew for sure or not, she sensed his need for that anointing, which would become the anointing for his burial. She acted out of a kind of extravagant love, a depth of gratitude and devotion to what Jesus needed, not what other people might think was the right thing to do as a disciple. What do we do about this Judas? Judas, one of the 12 disciples, he must have had skills with money. He was put in charge of the common purse, and yet we know that although he had access to the common purse, he wasn't honest, and the Gospel of John tells us that he stole from that purse. We learned that Judas didn't actually care all, carry all that much for the poor. He just wanted it sold so he could get his hands on the money. Judas is a very flawed, very broken person that we know in just five days will be the one who will betray Jesus to the religious authorities. Judas jockeying for power, uh, putting down Mary when she offers an act of devotion and love. This Judas will fall away from Jesus in a terrible way to the suffering of the world, but also to his suffering. It is a really tragic juxtaposition to see Mary's devotion and Judas's inability to see the beauty that it was right before him, instead falling into put-downs and jockeying and rivalry that will ultimately lead to Jesus's betrayal, that will lead to Judas's own death. And meanwhile, Mary is our witness for love and devotion and how we are called to be as a disciple, to put Jesus first in our lives, to reflect upon our gratitude and think about ways to show that gratitude with extravagant love. But we need those reminders. And it raises tough issues around stewardship. I think a lot of us struggle over issues of stewardship. We want to use our money well. We want them to, you know, we want to be frugal and let money go a long distance. We don't want to be wasteful. And so Mary's gift is a beautiful one, and it, it is challenging to us in certain ways of how do we offer extravagant love? How do we be good stewards? And we try to discern that, and sometimes we mess up. A number of years ago, I had the chance to go to the Church of the Resurrection Leadership Institute. That's United Methodist Church just outside Kansas City, led by Reverend Adam Hamilton. And he told a story about his and his wife LaVon's, uh efforts at teaching stewardship to their children. They were just about to go on, or they were leaving on a vacation. They were going to do a driving trip and go to some of the national parks. So they'd left Kansas, and they were heading west toward some of the national parks, and they'd they'd gotten to the first day, uh, they'd gotten to a park, but just hadn't been able to see very much of it before it got dark, but they'd gone into the gift shop anyway. LaVon and Adam had a practice of giving each of the children an amount of money, let's say $25. And that was the amount of money for the whole rest of the vacation. That was their play money. And I remember my mom used to do that with me. And I remember being a kid with my $5 and looking in the, you know, the five and dime store. What should I get? And, you know, the whole trip I'd be kind of thinking about how should I spend my money and savoring it. Because you knew you only had this amount of money. Well, Adam and LaVon were practicing a similar thing with their girls. And so here they were in the gift shop. The girls knew, you've got $25, that's it. And so one of the girls was kind of looking at a variety of different things. But it was the first night. She wasn't taking it too seriously. They hadn't even really seen the park. But his other daughter immediately saw a hat. She really liked that hat. Dad, do you like this hat? Well, sure, honey, I like that hat. But, you know, it's a lot of money. Well, but but do you like it? Well, yes, honey, I like it. But, you know, this is the first day. You've got a whole week left. Do you really, you know, do you really want to spend the money on one thing? And so they kept kind of looking around at different things, and they're checking out. And she keeps, you know, dad, dad, what about this hat? Y- yes, honey, I see the hat. Well, do you like it? Yes, honey, I like it. It doesn't matter if I like it. it. It's your money. What do you want to to do with it and and so he and LaVon are both getting kind of irritated like here it's the first night is she really going to buy a hat for the park they haven't even visited yet and so they you know everyone checks out they leave the store and sure enough his daughter has bought this hat and she looks at him and she says daddy do you like this hat and he's feeling kind of irritated about this he says yes honey I do it she says good happy birthday She took her whole money for their week-long vacation and spent it on a hat for her daddy. Extravagant love. That is our calling. Amen.